Good morning, everyone. It's great to have another Sunday where we're worshiping together, and great to see everyone on just a 9.40 service. And so today um, we're going to do things slightly differently, and so I would like to just talk about something that is very prevalent in our lives today, and this is the topic of what teenagers love doing the most, and this is the idea of gaming. So, if you don't know already, whether you like it or not, the idea of video games is a big deal in today's lives, and even for adults nowadays, with the introduction of mobile games, this is something that even adults are getting into. I remember when I was a kid, my my mom would always knock on my door, checking at me at the middle of the night and see if I'm still laid up, laid awake gaming in my computer. And then she'd always rant at me and be and be like, "Stop wasting your time gaming when you could have spent all that my uh, all that time studying or doing something else that's more productive." And even looking back, I I realized that. I actually game a lot when I was a kid. The amount of hours I spent gaming, if I put that into minimum wage standards, I had enough to pay for down payment for house. That's how many hours I used in gaming. <clears throat> but the tables have, out, have now turned. It's getting to a point where nowadays I would go up to the living room and at like 12 a.m. I would see my mom on her cell phone playing this game where she's harvesting crops and then trying to catch that time, that deadline where when the crops are available, she has to go and harvest it and then plant new ones and then trying to compete with her friends and all that. And I would walk up to her and be like, Mom, stop wasting your time gaming. It's not productive. And then she just frowned at me and kept playing. But that's how prevalent gaming is. And Especially now, there actually was a new game that came on about a year ago that um, a lot of even the youths in our church and even yeah, youth leaders have been playing a lot. And I won't mention what game this is, but then um, this was so popular that my friend would actually come over and watch me play this game. And then we would... We, we, we would we would just enjoy so much that we would just enjoy watching each other play this game. And and for those who don't know, this is just um, one of these online games. And the best analogy would be, it's like imaginary paintball online, where, where two teams would work together and try to eliminate the other team with, with, with different uh, projectiles and, and, and arrows and guns and hammers and whatever. And so, and so it's pretty competitive. It's a game where people lose their temper when they get really into the game, where when there were times where both youths and leaders get so into it that they start yelling at each other, complaining why the other part of the team didn't carry their, their own weight. And eventually it gets to a point where because... They are so fed up with the losing mentality sometimes 
where they would throw in the towel and be like, I'm, I'm done with this, and they stop trying and, 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 and just let the team lose. And that's when they start throwing games and throwing matches just to, just to not care. And sometimes it's, it, it even gets to a point where there are certain leaders that start yelling at kids and then be like, no, I'm, I'm so done. And then he just disconnects himself from the game in the middle of a game. And then people are like, where did he go? And then we t- went back and asked him, and he's just so fed up that he didn't want to play anymore. So this is how it's like. But the thing is, this is a game. This is just a game where there's no stakes involved. But sometimes in our own lives today, we do the same thing in, in the different challenges that we have, that, uh, especially in this generation where the idea of perfection, the idea of a good life, is such a big deal that when you start having dents in your life, that little imperfection, that you start to uh, have it troubled you for the entire time in, in your walk, whether it's in school, in, in work, or even in your own faith, that because of this imperfection, you, you have this mentality of going hard or going home, that you stop trying that you, were, you start throwing away this effort to, to continue on because why bother that it won't turn out the way I want it to be already and it's not going to be good, that good, good result that I anticipated. And especially when life gets really hard, when there are difficulties in your life where you realize that this is something that you can never overcome and in the same time you question the very existence of God when you realize that you are in a state where this is something that if a God is supposed to be good should not happen to me. So why am I even bothered with this faith? Why am I even bothering with continuing on in, in my life that I might as well just throw it and, and don't care? So, as we study the book of Lamentations today, we can really empathize with the poet who was writing this poem. The story of loss, the story of frustration, the story of helplessness that was going through this poet's mind. And it's particularly good when we look at the poetry, the different kinds of poetry in the Bible, because they are genuine expressions of emotions of people who were struggling with their faith, people who were doubting about the faithfulness, the goodness, the love of God in the midst of their struggles. And, and these different poems and literature are really nuggets of gold that when we go through these different trials in our own lives, that we can refer back because sometimes we can resonate with them. We go through similar places of darkness, similar areas where we have difficulty carrying on in this faith, that there's times when we think we're done. We can't believe in this God anymore because of the circumstances that I'm in. So to take a step back, the Book of Lamentation was written at around 
uh, four four to five hundred uh, BC. At the time after the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, some have uh, identified the author to be Jeremiah. Even though nowadays scholars do debate that it might just be someone who was writing this book in his style, but the most important part is this is written by someone who has witnessed and experienced the loss of a nation, the loss of their their hometown to foreign foreign nations, and they are trying to figure out and process what's going on when they said. God is the one protecting them. God is the one that has um, control over the destinies. But especially when we look at the third chapter in Lamentations, we realize that there is a particular part in this chapter that we're really familiar with. And it's something that we sing all the time in, in songs. And this is taken out from a hymn that is probably familiar with most of you. The, the hymn that says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And to say that, great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, great is thy faithfulness. This is actually <clears throat> inspired from verses 22 and 23 from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. And just like how people only remember that one verse in Micah about, lift, about living in justice, mercy, and humility, this tends to be the only verse people remember in Lamentations. And then they will skip through the whole book and go to something else. But sandwiched between the, these two verses is a whole turmoil of struggles that was um, going through in the author's heart where he was trying to process the idea of loss, the idea of lamenting, the idea of mourning. <clears throat> and when we say the word lament, it actually means the mourning of a loss that is precious or great. When we lament, we mourn for a loss that is precious or great. And even in the Old Testament, there were a lot of different passages on the idea of lament when David laments the death of both Saul and Jonathan, when, when um, in Genesis, the, the loss of the entrance to the Garden of Eden, there are different kinds of laments that, that is prevalent in the Bible. But just as great is in the book of Lamentation, when this author this poet was trying to lament on the loss of both his nation and his own identity in God. For him, he has been emphasizing that Jerusalem is not just a political identity in his heart. It's not just the fact that he's no longer a free man. He, he's now under the control of another foreign nation. But the fact that this is just as important as a religious identity to him. That when Jerusalem is no longer the people of Israel, they realize that this God who has promised them an everlasting kingdom, this God who promised them 
a God who would overwatch, who would protect them, a God who would be with them and be faithful and steadfast to them, is not fulfilling this promise of it. That they start questioning as to whether or not they are really God's people. What exactly went wrong? Or even, is it God's fault that we are in this state of affliction? So as we go into this chapter, it goes into different different stanzas. And we know that it is a poem because it follows a similar structure that many poems in the Hebrew literature does. And this is something called the acrostic poem, which means that each beginning letter of, of each verse goes by the Hebrew alphabet, starting with the first alphabet all the way to the last alphabet. And this is called the acrostic poem. And, and so as we look into the different stanzas, you realize that on the first chunk of the poem, he starts mourning as he is now a man who has seen affliction by the rod of Lord's wrath. He was driven, the Lord has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. And so it's not just a road into darkness, but it's actually a rod into darkness. And this is a very similar imagery to when we look at Psalm 23, when we said that the Lord is my shepherd and his rod and his staff comforts me. We know that a shepherd carries two different items on, uh, on the side at all times. And one is the staff, which, you, which is used to guide and to lead the sheep. And the other, which is the rod, is actually a weapon that he uses to protect the sheep from wolves, from invaders, and other thieves who come to try to steal the sheep. But in here, the poet is seeing God as the opposite of a shepherd, as a malevolent uh, leader, who abuses his power to use the rod not to protect, but to, to cause harm onto his own people. He is in such a, uh, such a gloomy state that he sees God as the enemy in his life, that he is the one that forces him to walk into darkness, that it is God's intention that he is in this state of pain. But even more, as we go on to this poem, we realize that he gets to an even more rock-bottom kind of emotional feeling where he talked about the idea of being despair. And the word despair came from the Latin root, which means to be removed from hope. The idea of death, which means to remove, and spare was actually the Latin word for hope. The poem mentions that no, not only does he see himself as someone who is going through pain, but even those around him, those in the nations, see this group of people as the laughing stock of the world. <clears throat> that these are people that are worthy to be in pain, these are people that are, 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 are not people that, are, that have any sort of dignity and any sort of worth. 
that even in the eyes of others, this man realized that he is without hope. That this is something that God has put him in. And because of that, he is in the sense of despair. That even like by the analogy that we always say, we are that candle in darkness, that as the people of God, we are to shine into darkness. But when we get into the time of despair, the candle starts flickering and eventually it died out where there is complete darkness that we ourselves can't even see the light in us and it's pitch black. So how can someone like that be still faithful to follow God, to trust in God, that he is faithful and steadfast. A lot of times when we go through these kind of trouble, or when we see someone going through this kind of trouble, our automatic reaction is to go and spew some encouragement or Bible verses to them and say, don't worry, this is a trial that God has put you through that you'll overcome and you will and you'll come out an even more faithful and stronger person. But as someone who has gone through darkness, I know that this is the last thing I really care about. When I'm going through a time of struggle, when I'm going through a time of doubt and pain, and, and, and even the thought of leaving God or even leaving this world, I don't really care when people tell me that life is going to be better the next day, that things will be okay, that we will, will see the goodness of God if you just keep trying harder and, 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 and pray harder and rely on God. When you think about it, it's almost like you're accusing me that, oh, I'm going through this pain, this struggle, because I was not faithful enough, or I'm going through all this darkness because I did not pray hard enough, that I did not... Um, I did not do everything that God has told me to do. That's why it's the result of the, all this suffering that I have. But the idea of darkness is not something that is tied into to the goodness of God. That darkness is something that is inherent in this world. And a good illustration that I've learned is the idea that sometimes we think of the light and darkness as two separate entities. But darkness is really just the absence of light. When light does, does not shine in this part, of the, this part of the world. And so when I go through my own pain, looking back, there was a time after I became Christian that I had doubts about God. And I have been doing everything that I was told to do as a Christian. I went to worship, I was serving, I went to uh, fellowship, I went on missions trip, I, I was helping out in youth group, I was um, helping out in worship services, and, and I did my devotions, and I pray, and I tithe, I did everything that any quote-unquote good Christian is supposed to do. But in the midst of all that, the church was going through a lot of struggles. 
in my in my in my own church, we had a split where a lot of my mentors and my pastors decide to leave and and form their own church, and the ones who are still around are are the ones that have no leadership experience that are forced to come up and 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 take on leader roles, and in the midst of that. There are conflicts that were happening even amongst this new leadership, and whenever we go to Sunday, it was so depressing. Where sometimes I go there because of a need of obligation that I show up because I know I'm supposed to be there, and I trust that oh, I just have to grind it through, and eventually things will turn the corner. We'll we'll have a revival, and Lord will be. Um, the Lord will be blessing us, and we will be back to where we were, or even better. But as time goes, that glimmer of hope starts dwindling, starts dwindling, and continue to dwindle to the point where I keep asking myself, "Why am I still here? My 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 body, my physical self is here at the sanctuary worshiping, but my heart wasn't even there anymore." That I, I try to pay attention to to the worship lyrics. I start singing these songs, but I don't really mean it when I sing these songs. When we talk about praising God and glorifying God and to to acknowledge the love of God, I'm just lying to myself, saying, "Why? It's not even real right now." And even um, when I was in a missions trip. I was thinking it as something that would help revive my faith. That in the midst of my missions trip, that's when I heard the news from my dad that my grandma was just diagnosed with cancer in Hong Kong, and that's when I I literally broke down and started crying, and was was yelling and was when I was having the scratch at God, saying that I did all that I was supposed to do and. My grandma, who was the closest person I ever had in my life, is going through this pain, and she is the one that has always been opposing the idea of me being a Christian because of the different traditional values that and superstitions that she held uh, in this Chinese faith, uh, Chinese religion and faith. And so it was a really dark time, and I even.、Uh, Took a week off school to fly back to to spend time with her, and I thought about trying to share the gospel with her. And whenever the idea of the gospel get brought up, she was really unhappy. She was disappointed when I tried to share the gospel with her. And coming back to Vancouver, I start wondering: Is this a faith worth pursuing? When When, when even the closest person in my life is going through pain, and the more I pursue God, the more I, I feel that I'm betraying this person. And that's when my hope was completely depleted. My hope in God was pretty much gone, and I was in this state of darkness that I don't want to do anything. I stopped serving in the church. I, I even <clears throat> took a month off. Going to service, and I was starting to question the very idea of church. Why am I going to church? Why does it even matter? And why should I continue on this faith? And it got really, really bad. That to the point where I, when when my grandma finally passed away, 
and we went back to the funeral and came back and and my anger and frustration with God got to a point where I was like, this, if, if I put all that trust, all that hope and all that faith in this one thing and rest everything on this one thing and this thing in my life pretty much collapsed. I no longer hold this faith in, in this God. Is there any more reason to live that life is meaningless just as I have struggled with before? That the idea of suicide came to my mind again. It's like, why bother when I can just end my life? But <clears throat> as we look at Lamentations, and we look at the man who is going through these troubles, going through these frustrations, he realized that there is a turning point. There is something else that he can cling on to that cannot be taken away from him. And this is the idea of hope, that he realized that in the midst of all the doubts and struggles and darkness that he was, he was dealing with, there is still hope. And the word hope in Hebrew is literally the same word as the verb to wait for. To have hope is to have something worth waiting for. To have hope is to have something worth waiting for. When we say we have hope, it means that there's something beyond us, something we can't hold on to, but because we trust that it is real, and because we trust that it will happen, that there is something to motivate us to carry the next step, to wake up the next day thinking that it's not just today that I'm living for, but something greater. And to have hope is to also have something that is built on lived experience. The only reason we can have hope is because there's something we have learned from our past, something we have experienced in our past, whether it's something that was told by others or <clears throat> sorry, or <clears throat> something that was personally experienced ourselves. <clears throat> sorry, my thought is still not recovered yet. But um, when we say we have hope, this is a shared experience, not just from our own overcoming of struggles, our own witnessing of God's grace, but something shared among the community. When we hear people in our midst have overcome sickness because of God, when we have heard people who have come out of darkness because of the loss of a loved one, when we hear people's stories about going through their own doubts or their own condition of depression, their own um, own troubles and finance and, and relationships and to see God at work in their life. These are experiences that we can take into our own lives and our own hearts. That it, it's something that we build on like a building block. That this hope is, is, a, is almost like a bank account that we can only take out to go through these trials because we have taken them in from our past. And in this author in Lamentations, 
he sees the same thing, that God has been with them all these years in times of invasion, that God has delivered them, in times of destruction, that God has protected them, and the times of tribulation, that God has been faithful to them, that why won't God be the same in this very single time? It might look really hard, it might look impossible, but we believe, if we believe this God is the God that is possible, then why not just one more time to hold on to that faith? But more importantly, the idea of hope in the Hebrew sense is not a passive thing. When we say hope is like to wait on, it's not just a very passive sit there and wait for hope to come to us. But when we say we have hope in the Hebrew grammar, it's something that is active, that you put into action, that you put yourself into a state of hope. That as we're waiting, this is an active waiting that we go and cling on to God, that in our own desperation, in our own despair, in our removal from hope, that we know that we cling on to God, to cling on to what we know about God, in order to trust that even in a time we cannot trust, in a time we are simply out of gas, we're simply out of charges, that we can still cling on to God. We talk about the idea that life is not a game. When we look at video games, when we die, we can have continues, we can go back to life, or we'll get resurrected in a game. But in real life, trials are trials. They're real. You can't just skip your suffering and say, I'll sleep it out, sleep it out and then the next day, it'll be completely new again. But instead, suffering is real. Suffering is a reality regardless of how faithful we are. But we need to know that we have to acknowledge God's faithfulness and goodness, but in the same time, it does not negate the reality of suffering. Just because God is good and faithful doesn't mean we are removed from the reality of suffering. But it is in the reality of suffering that sometimes we realize that God is faithful and good. As the author was closing up in his sharing and lamentations, he encouraged and invites those who are listening to this poem that you realize for those who are going through trials and, and despair, that when you finally decide to climb out of this, this hole, climb out of this pit, when you look around, you realize it is just as what verse 23 and 20, 22 and 23 said, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. When you look around, God was actually there, sitting next to you, in the well, in the pit, in the hole, waiting and ready to comfort you, ready to climb out together. He said that, I carry on your name, God, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your eyes to my cry for relief. You came near when I call you, 
and you said, do not fear. And this is a God that we, we cling on to in good times. And this is still the same God that we cling on to in bad times. That even in the midst of doubts and suffering, he's just there waiting. Ready to, to hold our hand and say, let's walk together. Let's overcome this together. We just sang the song earlier that it is well in my soul. It is well in my soul. And when we say it is well in my soul, it does not negate the fact that our physical and our emotional self are going through pain. That even when it is well in our soul, there are troubles that are around us. That we might go through relationship troubles. We might go through unemployment. We might go through academic struggles. We might go through the, the loss or even the illnesses of our loved ones. But as we were singing the song, that it is well in my soul, we can praise God because there is a God who has come into this world and went through the same suffering that we do. And it is because of that, he can sit next to us and say, I empathize you. I know how it's like to go through pain and rejection and affliction. And because of that, we can do this together. I have overcome it, and through me, you can also overcome this. <clears throat> so as the worship team now come up and have a time of response together, there is something that we have prepared for you uh, up at the front. So when we say, it is well in my soul, a little bit of a play on words, the, the, the idea of well happens also in the gospel, in the New Testament. Jesus, when he saw the Samaritan, when asked the Samaritan woman to draw water for him out of the well, she, he reminded her that he is the living water, that when we drink from this well, you'll never thirst and you'll never be in need again. And sometimes maybe this is what we need, that when we say hope is something that is active, hope is something that is an active waiting, it requires us to go and seek Jesus ourselves, to go up to the well and dig into this well and ask for the living water that was promised to us. So as we have this time to sing a few songs and respond together, there is something that we have prepared up front in, in this basket, and it's kind of like the illustration of the well, that inside the basket there are a bunch of verses from the Bible that you can take out of. And as you're singing these songs, you can use them as a sort of a guide to your reflection, a guide to think about how even in, in the, for those who are going through struggles, how you can cling on to this hope. And for those who are, who are, who are fortunate to be in a state of, of wellness, to continue to, to cling on to hope, to, to store up your hope so that in times of trial, you'll be ready. And so as we're worshiping, please do feel free to come up and take a note from the center and 
go back to where you're sitting and worship with us. And if you don't feel comfortable, it's totally fine. You can just just stay in where you are and continue on to worship as a community. So before that, let's have a word of prayer together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you because you are the everlasting hope that we can cling on to. That even when our own well ones dry, your well of everlasting grace and hope is always there for us. As we continue to worship you today, as we continue to live our lives in the midst of the sufferings and the, the trials that we have, may we continue to remember that you are there, that you are present in the midst. Thank you, and in Christ's name we pray.